Support the Bartholomew Town Podcast by subscribing, rating, and reviewing us on Apple Podcasts. This is the Bartholomew Town Podcast. Welcome to another edition of the Bartholomew Town Podcast. I'm your host, Bill Bartholomew. My guest today is Kasim Yarn, Rhode Island's first director of Veteran Affairs. In his role as director, Kasim oversees several key initiatives, such as Rhode Island's Veterans Resource Center, the Rhode Island Veterans Home, and the Rhode Island Veterans Memorial Cemetery, serving as a connector between the state and Rhode Island's 61,000-plus veterans. But his broader impact as a publicly visible member of the Raimondo administration's cabinet, from his hands-on work with homeless veterans to sporting hilarious costumes at state functions, also caught my attention and serves as a portal into some of the specific work being conducted within the current administration. With seemingly ubiquitous admiration and a highly respectable ground game, I was curious about Kasim's background and how it informs his approach to serving Rhode Island's veterans and their families, as well as his overall role as a cabinet member. Hey, Instagrammers, be sure to follow us at Bartholomew Sound Podcast. We keep the conversation going between episodes with exclusive content. Plus, I post pretty much everything I do in print, radio, or otherwise there in the stories. Coverage from live events, including our very own Elmwood Songwriters Club, which this past weekend happened right here at our loft in Providence. We bring you to the events that you're not going to. Instagram at Bartholomew Town Podcast. All right, without further ado, my sit-down conversation with Rhode Island Director of Veterans Affairs, Kasim Yarn. Uh, I grew up in uh, Jackson, Mississippi. You know, it's kind of it's kind of symbolic as we approach MLK Day on the weekend and being reflected being an African-American male, sense of responsibility, sense of duty. But in order to be cognizant, to plot out a course for the future, we got to be cognizant of the past. And growing up from Mississippi, a lot of Dr. King's words echoes today in terms of a person being judged by the content of the character, not by the color, by the gender. And uh, that means something. Uh, growing up from Mississippi, who has a historical past in terms of every, almost every speech that Dr. King talked about, he used Mississippi as a major talking point in not a good way. So I, early on in my life, I realized, hey, I, I'm a, an adult. I'm going to be an adult. And I needed to be what else is there in the world that's going on. Is, is the Mississippi going to define who I am long term? So uh, I joined the Navy. I got my diploma that night at 6 o'clock at 06 in the morning. The next day, I was on a plane leaving Mississippi. And I was part of an organization, Great Lakes, Illinois. I remember like it was, I could probably walk through that entire experience like it was yesterday. Because it was just, it was just that profound shift from adolescent to young adulthood. A strong sense of purpose, being some part of something that's bigger than yourself. The needs of no one individual 
And when there, I, I looked at all walks of life. You know, it wasn't, we didn't see color. We didn't see gender. We saw service members want to honor and serve this country. And those are the virtues as a 18-year-old, now I'm 46, that are used as building blocks to help educate and guide our Rhode Island youth. So I graduated boot camp, and I chose a place. I went back to Mississippi to get my follow-on training to learn my trade, my skill. I was going to be doing my job in the Navy, and I had came into another crossroads. Where do I go? Where's my next uh, career stop along the way? I had, and here, here are my alternatives. Jo- Atlanta, Georgia, Hawaii, Chicago, Texas, and Massachusetts. And I was, so I, at that point, I, I didn't have a clue. I was like, where do I go? Pick a place you've never been before. Well, I kind of knew, because I'm up Mississippi, so I kind of knew the South and that nature too. Hawaii, knew where it was, you know, geographically, but like, uh. Then there was Chicago, because I have families from Chicago, so it's like, okay. But then something about Massachusetts. So I chose Massachusetts. And uh, another major ripple in my, in my, on my journey. And I remember like it was yesterday, make my first snow angel. So it's kind of symbolic that we're having this meeting we get prepared as we prepare for a storm coming our way. Right, totally. So I remember, like I said, making my first snow angel. And I'm like, you know, it's kind of cool. And uh, the cold weather. And, uh, but I always say, too, you know, uh, you know, New England has them entirely over. We're very cold people, blah, 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 until you get to know us. And, you know, there's some, some you know, some truth to that stereotype, I guess. Right. And, uh, but I fell in love, uh, started to fall in love with New England. And I got my undergrad degree at Boston University. I'm an almighty terrorist. And uh, as I, I remember as I was, I got my diploma and I was driving, I was leaving Boston, taking, the, I was on Mass Ave heading out. But this was before the big dig. And I was just, wow, what a beautiful city. And uh, truly a beautiful city. And I fell in love with, you know, Red Bend, probably remember Red Sox Nation back then. It was, it was painful to be a fan. <laughs> and then, but, you know, we stuck with it. And as I guess that's a message in that as well by sticking with it. And uh, I went to Newport, got my uh, started to get my, my, my follow-on career. And then I uh, was stationed there, became a surface world officer. You know, ships, taking ships, deployment all throughout the entire world. Uh, four deployments later, I got stationed back at the War College. And I said, you know, it's time for me to start transitioning because I'm, you know, getting older and, you know, going back out to sea again and, Holidays won't be the same because at that I'll be a senior leader, senior officer aboard a ship, and then I'll be required to be there with the crew. You know, again, if they're serving, we're there serving too, regardless of the holidays. And uh, that's honor with that. So I was like, hey, but I'm looking at the side of my family. You know, that's taking the military takes its toll as well. So I was like, you know what? I think it's time for me to retire. And the opportunity uh, presented itself to me to serve in a greater capacity. But, you know, now I look at looking back at it now, essentially three years ago or four years ago when the process started, but three years ago now, uh, I look at it and, you know, it was the best decision I ever made. And I get to serve a state that's given me so much. My wife's from Rhode Island. 
our children were educated in the public school system here in Rhode Island. Uh, our home is in Rhode Island. I don't own any other homes anywhere else. Uh, no desire to live anywhere else. Yes, I do. You know, I do like I love the beach. Being a sailor, sand in the beach, they kind of go hand in hand. Uh, but you know, the thing is about making making Rhode Island better. And a part of the Governor Ronald's team that our charge is to make Rhode Island better, that all uh, Rhode Islanders can make it here in Rhode Island. And I, my my little niche is our veterans. Like for example, our our. Uh, our Rhode Island population is a little bit over a million, whereas, you know, in Massachusetts, their veteran population is at 300,000. So per capita, same percentages relative to the number. So when I talk about, I'm, a, I'm always, I'm a, when I talk in, with numbers, it's always, it's always relative. So relative to this, relative to the Joneses, here's where we are. And, we, and I, I love the ability to assess where we are, too. And I think that's, that's being a good steward for the taxpayer. But also, it makes me a, a, a realistic leader also because, hey, we're making progress. Three years ago, we didn't have a state director. Now we do. Uh, three years ago, we didn't have a new veterans home. Now we do. Three years ago, we didn't have a, you know, a, a cemetery administrator that his priority is to make sure that our family members, that our 34,000 of our men and women and their spouses that call our cemetery their final resting place a high priority. And so we're making progress, and I'm about to be part of that part of that team. Yeah, and your work is in many ways a connector's office. You know, you're yes. really trying to piece things together. Yes. Well, well, I I look. I saw. I'm a part of an overall, you know, human health services directorate. You know, we're in the people business, and so we're all connected. And and the governor said this in her inauguration speech. When we a small state like our that needs to be our strength. So our, we have the capability of, build, of getting the right people in the room. When we, before we started the interview today, look at the amount of people that you've come here on this podcast. These are all Rhode Islanders, elected officials, uh, publicly serving, but you had the capability of picking up the phone and, hey, Senator Whitehouse, sir, can you come talk to us about what it is, the priorities, because you, you represent us by and large. So, hey, can you talk to us? You, we have that capability here uh, in Rhode Island. And so, and we like to, we need to use that to our fullest extent. And as I said, the governor said in her inauguration arrest. But more importantly, we are connectors. And no, no, there are no two systems that are alike. But hey, we can do a better job at connecting. And so, my office tries to connect veterans with, and the family members uh, to the services that, that they need, based on the, based on what they're, based on what their requirements are. And what are the the main? Um Operations that you oversee, obviously the veteran cemetery in Exeter, right, um, and everything in between, yep. and, and so uh, they are thirteen categories. So we define those by thirteen categories. So they're from anything from helping out with homelessness to helping out with education to employment, healthcare, full spectrum, and so. But but I like to look at it because there are no two veterans that are alike. Same with their family members. I look at it in terms of demographics. For example, our sixty-one thousand of our veteran population. 70% of them are over the age of 55. That's a different dynamic, right? The majority of that group, they don't you know, email on a frequent basis, check in, you know, apps. When you say to us an app, they think about an appetizer right. for a local <laughs> restaurant via an app for your smartphone right. and things like that. And, and those are the nuances so to that. And checking with automation, going to the internet, doing all those things, that's not their forte. Right. But they love reading newspapers, reading articles, getting together at social gatherings, social events. Whereas the younger generation of that population are uniquely different, different a little bit different on priorities. They are well versed 
at checking email, using smartphones, using iPhones, Samsung's phone, what have you, to get information at a rapid pace. So I, my services have got to be full spectrum to take care for our elderly population that are, aren't reliant on those services, whereas our younger population to make sure we have we are leading the tip of the spear and leading edge when it comes to innovation, getting outreach, providing updates, utilizing social media, utilizing our Internet, our website, to get information to them in a timely manner and update it continuously. Right. And it's th- that transition from the analog age to the, the digital age. I'm right at the back end of where I had, you know, cassette player or whatever for a yes. few years. And I, yes. you know, I remember in operating purely on that level. If right. You will. Having to fast forward, to pause, and stuff like that. Remember, save certain songs, you had to save it. Oh, so totally. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 Recording yeah. off the radio, whatever yes. it was, all, all yes. the way. But, and of course, you know, cell phone pre. I remember getting a flip phone in like 2001 or two or whatever right. it was. So now, I mean, this is obviously the most generic evaluation right. of modern history, but, but at but the same it, time, it's, it's very transition. practical. And so as an, as an age, and any company, Fortune 500 company that's successful, the ability for them to go through those transitionary periods and to not be, uh, to be a leader in that industry, it's going to take some steps, but you got to be cognizant of what's going on in the environment. And technology is a, is a false multiplier. It can be. Uh, the ability to get information out and to get people together. And, you know, but in Rhode Island, you have that capability. It, 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 it multiplies that seven times because we are a small state. We have the capability of getting together. Yes, we do have to drive all the way 20 minutes somewhere. Right. But at the end of the day, it's easier because, we don't, for example, a place like Texas, you can be driving two hours and still in the same city. Right. So let's. Get, I like to leverage those capabilities on our, on behalf of our veterans and families. That's interesting, Lieutenant Governor McKee. When I first met him, he referred to the thirty-nine cities and towns, and how you really can access each one of those. And that's really true. I've been trying to practice that as well. Drive, make sure I am in each town as often as I can be, and, and connecting. Absolutely. They're all unique, and you'll you'll get a, a Sidgwick versus an East Greenwich. So My one goodness. of one of the first thing that I did. Uh, when, when the governor made the appointment, I visited every municipality in this state. And I met with each. I sat down, got on, the, got on the administrator's calendar, the managers, the mayors, and the town councils, the city councils. And we just talked. Talked about, introduced myself, uh, talking about my services, my office, and to be your backstop. If, you have, if a veteran has any questions, comments, concerns, here's my card, and let's build a partnership. The second time I visited those municipalities, I did a, I doing a town hall. So I, of, of to which that I let the municipality choose the location because it's essential to what defines them as a municipality. Some, for example, some choose the town hall. Some choose the senior center. And so some of those, those that have vibrant senior center, that's a focal point in the community. And it, it works great for me, too, because that remember when we talked about earlier about how we have uh, – 70% of our veteran population over age 55. So they know where the senior centers are at. Yeah, it's 55 a little early, but still, we, we know. Right. We get the general <laughs> gist of, of, of the importance right. of senior centers in our municipalities. And so we have town hall meetings. We sit down and talk about stuff, things in the like legislation, uh, health care. But the beauty of it, I invite, I personally pick up the phone. I invite leadership from our Providence VA Medical Center, our benefits office, and the general assembly members that represent that municipality, because, like I said, when I so another thing I, I I my philosophy is that I'm not on this island by myself. 
if I think that I'm going to solve these problems by myself, I'm, I, I, I fail before I even started. But it's different from hearing from me versus hearing from the sea of veterans. And when a general assembly is there present, listening to their constituents, it adds value. And so that way, when I get a call from a general assembly member from that said municipality, they know that we're going to take action to serve their veterans. They have legitimate needs and concerns, and our organization is going to take those on and get the help that they need. Are all the answers going to be the right all the time? Absolutely not, because that's not life. But right. our job is to advise. And they give their veterans, here. here's the black and white, here's a little gray area, here's some recommendations, and then we go from there. But it's up to the, at the end of the day, we're informing our veterans and their families, giving them an informed decision so they can make those timely choices. The governor ostensibly introduced a $10 billion budget yesterday, and in her state of the state address talked a lot about mental health. Do you Absolutely. feel like within both the context of the $10 billion and then in the context of mental health, there's going to be enough attention paid to veterans in those two areas. Well, it's been long overdue. Uh, back year, uh, earlier last year, back in May timeframe, uh, the governor sent out exec, signed an executive order for tasking her cabinet members to go out into the community to listen, uh, to talk about mental health. And as a 25-year Navy veteran, six foot five, three hundred pound guy. That says, hey, you can't cry in public. Yeah. That's, that's considered weak. Are you soft? Or something's wrong with you. Mm-hmm. That bravado, that machismo associated with that. Well, in reality, is that's, the wrong, that's the wrong approach. And it's okay not to be okay. And we live in a world now that we safe to say, we can come out and say that I have, a, I have an issue and I need help. But it's up to us as officials, as leaders in any capacity, uh, be a coworker, uh, subordinate, senior, what have you, uh, a Rhode Islander. If you see someone that's struggling, it's up to us to get that help and need it. And I think the governor's budget tries to achieve just, just that. And the ability for us to provide those services. We've identified there's some potential seams out there, some gaps, and so we are working together to try to close those gaps, to bring us our community uh, together. For, and, and, and we talk about the adult level, but it's, it's still in, that, in our youth to, to give them a vehicle, a voice to say, I'm not okay, there's some issues, and let's get some help. And we, we need to provide the resources for them in order to get that help. Yeah, she'd mentioned that it's tougher to be a kid now these days than it was when when i was in high school or when you were in high school oh or yeah but we I talk mean, about the, and the technology is is, yeah. is, a, is a contributing factor there's studies out there told in terms of the you know where those spike in terms of health care and social media plays a role in that you know providing health care but a total quality of health you know having a stable job having the ability for education all of those issues were stress you know, and those things are, are, are multipliers that will, aid, will you know, inhibit someone to being a productive uh, citizen. And so if we can start to identify what those barriers are, put resources in place, then they make it more easier for those to get the help that they need in a timely manner so they can be productive Rhode Islanders. Do you feel like there's a you have a good working relationship? And I mean, I know I see you on Twitter. You certainly seem to be beloved amongst, you know, the Rhode Island political inside baseball people, if you will. I look at life that Kasim, you can only control what you can control. What did you do today? I got to be able to look myself in the mirror and say, Kasim, I did my very best. Yep. That means what am I contributing? I'm going to be part of the team or I'm going to be a detractor. 
and uh, and and have a positive. And my glass is always half full. I grew up poor on wealth, product for the welfare system. Uh, education was number one priority, and, and work. Now, and there, there is no, you know, in, in, in terms of the socioeconomics, living as a Southern boy in Mississippi. And when I say boy, every person in Mississippi is called a boy in, in that regard, too. So there is, you know, there are some issues associated around that term in and in, in itself in, in today's world. But I love working public service. I work together. And, uh, and, and I'm, my door is always open to help others to do more. So if I see another one of my fellow cabin members that are, need some help, my job is to help them. Because I hope someday that if I may have issues, that they're going to be there and got my back also. Uh, that's good governance. Uh, we're a small state. Uh, there is no such thing as, you know, the governor has been crystal clear about, you know, our children, for example, shouldn't be defined by the area code to which they live in, their education. I mean, that, that should echo to the heavens, you know, in that regard, too. So but what is Kasim doing to be part of the team, to bring the team together and to be a, be a force multiplier, not a force divider? And uh, that negative energy out there, it, it's anybody can have the capability. But my job is to be positive. And I'm not saying... Every day is all peaches and cream. That's not my message here. But my message is this, is that we've, I did, as leaders, we identify problems and we put together solutions together and, they get, and get buy-in. You got to have buy-in. If you, if you don't have buy-in, uh, we, we've already failed. But we've got to get for all the stakeholders in the room in order to come up with a collective decision. And I say this all the, start, all the time. Behind closed doors, we agree to disagree. But when we walk through those doors... As taxpayers, as stewards for the taxpayer, we need to have a united front. And that's the military. Well, that's the military ethos and uh, supporting the boss, but more importantly, supporting each other. And like I said, I have no problem with rolling up my sleeves and getting dirty. That means putting on a costume, getting full regalia to do a Christmas tree lighting, or as opposed to standing tall for those that are homeless, those that are poverty, those that have mental health issues, to be their voice for them as well, and to champion those causes. That's my job. Do you ever think you'd run for governor? <laughs> <laughs> so uh, when I said to myself, when, so when I first took the position, because this is a this is a key role, but I'm a uh, I am I was having dinner. My wife was I had got home at like seven thirty, having dinner, finishing up the news, and my wife was washing dishes. And I said to my, I looked up at her and I said, "Dear, if I ever come home." And say to you, I'm running for public office. I want you to come take that firing pan, <laughs> walk around the counter, and hit me in the back of the head with it. Yeah. And so the answer to that question is I have zero desire to uh, run for any public office in this state or any state in that matter. Yeah, just keep working in the capacity you are to make, make an impact. Absolutely. Director, thank you so much for your time. Really thank appreciate you, sir. it. Great to hang out. Look Absolutely. forward to seeing your costumes this year. <laughs> <laughs> Stay tuned on social media. <laughs> That's all for this episode. As always, thank you for listening, and we'll talk soon.